So it actually got worse. I drank more. The drinking got real bad. So what, what stopped you? Well, what was your what was your come to Jesus moment if, if there was Carl the Sugar Pump Fair went to jail? This episode is sponsored by Encourage X, where you can manage all of your encouragement needs in one place. Personal, authentic, and consistent. EncourageX.com, where relationships mean everything. Welcome to Our Voices Matter. We are in for a huge treat today. My my dear friend, Lauren Anderson, first African-American prima ballerina in a major ballet company like on the planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Happens to be here in Houston. Um, so much to talk to you about. Um, thank you for coming. Absolutely. I'm honored. I'm honored. It's nice to sit here and just have a conversation. It is. So we've known each other for a while and, and I met Lauren uh, during my days anchoring the news. And, um, and of course, you were in the prime of your career at that time. And as I was getting ready for this interview, I was thinking back to um, Firebird. Oh, um, wow. To your, your sort of your farewell performances. That was Firebird. No, it? no. No, what was it? Firebird was earlier, way was, earlier. What was your farewell? Believe it or not, the Nutcracker. Sugar Plum was, Fairy. Oh, was it Sugar Plum Fairy? It was the very first, my first lead role in a prince, <gasps> as a dancer in the company was a Sugar Plum Fairy. And my last lead role oh was a Sugar gosh. Plum Fairy. Firebird was in between that. And there's a whole story there's around whole, Firebird. Is there, okay, what is the Firebird story? Well, when I was nine years old, my mother took me to see Dance Theater of Harlem mm-hmm. at Jones Hall. Mm-hmm. So, so you know what? No one has to even guess. I'm 54. All right. So nine, let's see, I was born at 65. That's just, what, 70-something. Okay. Okay. And I see Dance Theater of Harlem. And I didn't realize that I hadn't seen a black ballerina until I'd seen one. Mm-hmm. And I saw one, I went, <gasps> And, and I went with my mother. She said, I scooted to the end of my seat and I went, huh, and then I went huh, again. Cause I, and then I said, there's a whole stage full of them. And I sat there and that's when I decided I wanted to be a dancer. That's when I decided I wanted to do it. And the ballet they were doing was Firebird. Firebird. And I always said, I want to be her. And that was the chick in the middle, in the tutu, in the lead role. Tearing it up. Tearing it up. Now, fast forward 30 years or something and... I'm doing Firebird. And I hated it. And the only reason I hated it was because I had plantar fasciitis. It was kind of well into my career. Stuff was starting to fall apart. And the bottoms of my feet were killing me. And I had to run and jump mm. the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. And so my first experience with Firebird was horrible. No, my first experience was fantastic. My second experience was horrible. But my last experience with it was good because I was more mature. And I realized it didn't matter how I feel about the role. It matters how I make people feel about the role. So exactly, um, it became a, a challenge. And I actually love it because it kind of got helped me get over a hump emotionally, spiritually, uh, and just come out there and represent no matter what type situation. Oh, so many places to go with what this whole story is. So first of all, you saw a stage full of black dancers. Dancers who looked like you. You didn't know there was such thing as a black ballerina until you saw one. And then I didn't know I hadn't seen one. And then you didn't know you hadn't seen one. It's like, until I saw one. So that's why it's so important for us to be able to see ourselves in a variety of different roles in terms of all that the world has to offer. That's Absolutely. what true diversity is. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And then, um, as a matter of fact, the story that they tell at the Smithsonian, my shoes are in the Smithsonian. Yes, I saw them. (laughs) And they tell that it, the exhibit tells that story basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the Dan Seed of Harlem case Mm -hmm. and it starts with Arthur Mitchell, Mm -hmm. of of course. And then it goes through the history and the end of their history or the, the end of the story that they're telling is me as a sugar plum fairy saying when I was nine, I saw Dancing of Harlem and that's why I wanted to be a classical ballerina. Do you remember what it felt like when you were about to walk on stage for the first time doing Firebird, having come full circle? Did you think about that little girl? I thought about it in rehearsal. I thought about it all the way up until the first performance and once I got on stage and the light hit me standing up in that tree as a firebird. It was mine. I didn't think about that little girl. It was mine now. I was the firebird. It was mine to have. It was mine to own. So that's kind of what, where I went with it. And then when I retired and then went to the Smithsonian and saw that, I, I went back to being that little girl at nine seeing it. There was, there was so much emotion. I'll never forget walking through there and, um, there was so much emotion about built up around the National African American Museum of History and Culture and all that. Mm-hmm. But the the neatest thing of it for me was when my son was with me and he wanted to read the stuff on the sports walls. He was looking at all the other stuff. Mom, I don't want to be in. I don't feel like going all up to your floor. I don't want to. Oh, you know, yeah. it wasn't that interesting. Yeah. Then when he got there, yeah, he looked and he stopped and he paused and he pointed and said, that's my mama. My grandkids are going to be able to come see their great-grandmother in this museum. That's when I was like, hmm. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what it. Uh, I could chills just picturing yeah. that moment, what that must have felt like for you. It was amazing. So the road to Prima Ballerina was, was a rather rocky one. Where, where do we begin? So I, I know a little bit about it, but I... I remember when I interviewed you several years ago, I don't even remember now. I must have been for Houston Ballet. I think it must have been for a, for a video that, that Houston Ballet was doing. Um, and I, I remember you talking about how you didn't have the, the traditional ballet body type, that you didn't have the traditional ballet feet that pointed forever and ever and with ever. The lump with the lump on top. Right? You didn't have any of <laughs> no. that. You were, you're a black girl. And you did not fit the stereotype of the white ballerina. How did you deal with that and how did you get beyond it? Well, girl. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. That's a loaded question. So in the beginning, I, uh, I was just doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that I had this thing that nobody else had. I could jump higher than anybody in the room, okay. boys included. And what age were you when you started? Seven. Seven. Okay. I discovered that at about nine or ten. Okay. Um, they discovered it right away. I didn't know, but they knew, and I didn't know. I was just doing it. Then, um, I, I guess about thirteen, my parents went in and said, "Okay, you know, we spent a lot of money doing this. Is she any good?" You know, parents do that. Yeah. But that's that's how we roll. Right. We want to know. We okay? Are we investing or what? And Ben Stevenson, who was the director, said, well, this is not really her niche. She has a good singing voice and a good personality, so maybe Broadway would be for her. However, keep taking ballet, 
And, you know, I knew I didn't have great feet and legs. I was hoping that eventually feet and legs would come. But, you know, um, I had more than I knew I had. I'll put it that way. And I found that out later. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I did have was good dance training. Solid, classical, like really good. Great foundation. Yeah. And then the talent part was the thing I had potential was I could jump higher than anybody. I was fearless. I could turn. And I was, well, you know, I was a little sassy. Okay. (laughs) And then I had personality, (laughs) you know, whatever. But I... They said, you know, you don't have, no, I wouldn't just think we would hot, she would be great in ballet because she doesn't have what you need to be a ballerina. I know what that is because now I'm a recruiter. So I know what that is. To me, I heard that she's black, her legs are too big, she can't get her legs up and her feet don't extend. That's what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. as a child. Mm Right. As so a that, so that made you feel like you didn't less belong. Than, less, less than, than one of your other experiences as we talk about here on the podcast. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I had to do it. I really wanted to be a ballet dancer. So that's when I said, all right, I will train here, then go to New York to dance theater of Harlem and get a job where they're hiring black people. That was my solution. Mm-hmm. That's okay. just how, okay. Ben Stevenson said to my dad, they had another conversation. I left the room. They had another conversation. I don't know what it was, but I know that my dad came out and said, you're taking these classes. I've paid for these classes. You're taking them. At the end of the year, we'll talk about it. We'll revisit. Midway before the end of the year, we have a thing called the spring show. The spring show was Alice in Wonderland. Guess who was cast as Alice? Ta-da. Me. <laughs> I looked at him like, her? I can't be Alice. <laughs> Alice is white. Right. Yeah. The lead ballerina was the Tiger Lily, but the lead for the show was Alice. Mm. So he showed me that I didn't have to be the lead ballerina to be the lead dancer. Oh, OK. That there's other avenues in this. Let's work on your acting. Let's work on this. Let's work on that. Keep training. But let's work on these other things. Well, thank goodness he did, because by the time I got there, I was a complete package. Right. right. I had to do the extra work. I did the extra stretching. I did the putting my feet under the piano with telephone books on them and all going into the studio doing Pilates. And I, I mean, I did so much to get to have the illusion of this ballerina. Now that thin, long, lanky, skinny model chick, that wasn't me. I could jump higher than you, turn more than you, run faster than any boy on my street. That's who I was. I was this, you know, but that's not what a ballerina is. So I had to find a way to take all of that and make it look like this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I'm thinking about Ben's role in this. So it sounds to me like, like he had a bit of an evolution over time. Well, in terms of how he saw you and then, and then how he could become a champion for you. Am I, am I understanding this correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. What happened was, and I found this out later from an interview that he did. I did an interview and he was part of the interview. And okay. I found this out watching the interview. He said, Oh, well, I told, I, she wasn't, I wouldn't have hired her at the time, you know, but she changed her body. She changed the way she worked. She changed all that. And now she fooled me. Now she's my lead dancer. Hmm. I know. Wow. I know. And I thought, I mean, also, I was given the opportunity. So his, a lot changed. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Houston Ballet and Lauren Anderson grew up together. They have always, Debbie Allen was the first African-American child in the school way before I was there. You know, I was there by myself for a long time, but she's the one who like opened the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I, and in 1976, they hired Adrian Vincent James, who was the first African-American male, right? And I mean, so there's been, it's not that it wasn't happening. It's just that as the ballerina, right. you know, we've been hired in many roles. Men always get hired. They always hire black men because they can totally carry the chicks around and partner and lift and jump and whatever and be manly. Yeah. But um, I had I had to find a way to cage my energy which is what I tell my students now, whether they're white, black, green, purple, I don't care. You got to cage your energy and become this and save it and then rev it up and put it back in there and then become you, authentic so, you. Authentic you. So all of that that you went through, you are now using those lessons to help the current generation. Oh, yeah. So give us a quick snapshot of what your, what your role is at Houston Ballet now that you've retired from dancing. So I work in education and community engagement. I get to go into underserved communities and teach art integrated classes, dance and math, dance and science, dance and whatever. So when there's a, we follow the TEKS, the Texas Educators Educational Knowledge Skills or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we make sure that there's an education component, right? Mm-hmm. Also, I teach ballet. And then I teach on the side in conservatory schools. So I teach kids that don't know they want to dance, that are looking at me like, I'm not doing that. And then I teach kids that all they want to do is dance. Uh-huh. So I get the best of both worlds. I'm still getting paid to do what I love to do. Exactly. Exactly. Which is to show, to, to dance, to express yourself through that. And be comfortable. Really what I get to do is social and emotional learning. How do I communicate with someone else as me? How do I feel good as me. You know, that's what I get to do in public schools. I get to go into the juvenile detention center and do the same thing. So critically important, um, that social and emotional learning component. It's the, it's the crux of all human relationships. Um, we are, you know, I'm, I'm going to go a, a little deep here right now only because, because we have to, I mean, we have to. So we're, we're actually taping this, um, on the day that we have just recently learned that 49 people were senselessly murdered in two mosques in New Zealand. And, um, it's obviously a terroristic, hate filled, horrific crime yet again in a part of the world where they don't typically see this kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just curious about, you know, when you hear, stories like this and you see kind of where we are not just as a as a as a nation but as a human race what what are your thoughts how can we come together what you know is it social and emotional learning is it what what do you think is the glue that's missing well there's a lot that's going on. And we got a lot of different cultures in a lot of different places in a lot of parts of the world. My, where I feel, I mean, cause we're a speck in the whole scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And it's like when someone says, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? 
So it can only be done. I mean, I can't do anything with the person over there that's an adult trying to do some stuff that's already wherever they are. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we can get on the back end or say the front end, actually, with children. children. I always say I don't do adults. They're already where they are. We can do something with kids, and which isn't true because we can change adults. But that's not where I fit in. That's right. not my expertise. Um, absolutely, it's social and emotional learning and how people feel about themselves. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite quotes is Maya Angelou, and she says, "People are going to forget what you said. People are going to forget what you do, but they will never, never forget, forget how they made them feel." That's right. That's right. And the way someone feels about somebody about themselves mm-hmm. is a reason why we do some janky stuff out here. Yeah. Because the way people feel about themselves, now you can't make somebody feel a certain way, but you can help them feel okay with themselves. And I think you can do that with kids much easier than you can with adults because they've already had their experiences. And you can do it through art. Which now, art, you asked about the glue. Yeah. Now, we were dancing and singing and, and painting before we were talking and bombing and killing. Well, bombing and killing, well, not bombing, but killing's mm-hmm. been happening just mm-hmm. for survival. Mm-hmm. But we were doing these other things. Right. And I think when when some of that stuff gets cut out, part of us is not activated. Like you can't teach the whole child if you're just teaching them math, science, and history. But you can teach the whole child when they get to actually express themselves and move and sing or dance, whatever, mm-hmm. in they, whatever way. Because they get way. to feel something. They get to feel. They get to feel. They get to feel good about themselves. They get to work. Or in, bad or whatever, or but they whatever, get to they feel. They can express whatever express. it is that, that is inside of them. Yeah. So um, you've had some some major challenges through throughout your career, mm-hmm. and the pressure of first of all just being a professional dancer, let alone it's insane the first black female prima ballerina. Well, let's just let's just uh, so some people might not know what a day in the life is like. Yeah. So oh yeah, it's <laughs> not you're not as a professional dancer you don't just go downtown and kind of take a couple classes a week and do a couple hours of rehearsal. You're there eight hours a day, five days a week. Right. It's it's like training to be in the Olympics, but for a long time, not just for part of your life. And mm-hmm. then you do the Olympics and then mm-hmm. you do something else. No, it's it's an ongoing thing of trying to be perfect. Um, and you, the way you get good is really unhealthy. Um, you get told how horrible you are. You get torn down. You know, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And that's how you get good. Believe it or not. I know it doesn't sound very healthy. It's not. Um, and. um but it, it works. It works. And, but there has to, I always feel there has to be a healthier way to, to teach classical dance or classical piano or classical anything. There has to be a healthier way to do it. So what I do when I teach, instead of telling someone how horrible they are, I will say, this is good. Now your feet were bad, but I'm going to help you get them good. I'm going to help you, not just your arm is bad, your arm is bad, your arm is right. bad. It's constructive criticism. Yeah. You, you because it the wasn't with that way. That's not how That's not I was how taught. Yeah. Nope. Nope. And not anybody in my generation that I know of that is a professional dancer on a level that, you know, on the world-class level was taught that way. Mm-hmm. We were beat down. And that's okay. That's just how it was. That's how it was. Um, so, so how did you deal with that? Uh, in the beginning... I'm just insecure. I'm insecure. I'm an insecure woman. Well, I was. Um, and I drank and I did drugs and uh, did anything to escape um, 
because I got to escape all day. I got to become something I wasn't. I had to be something different than I was all day. I have trained most of my life to not be me. And um, the one time I got to be me is you, when, when you get to dance, when you actually get to perform the role. Mm-hmm. It's not you, but it's you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's no, the, it. the best it. you you can be. It's mm-hmm. that I bring myself to whatever role I did on stage. And I probably think, because I didn't think I was the best dancer in the world, but I'm on the music. I'm really musical. And I'm going to make you feel something because I'm feeling it. It's the only thing I could do. I had nowhere else to go. And then after that, I'm left with me. Who am I? I don't really like me. So I'm going to not be with me and drink my way away from me or drug my way away from me. So were you drinking while you were actively in your performance career? Oh, yeah. But not like on stage drunk. Yeah, right. I can't dance drunk. Right. I tried Obviously. it once. Right. Didn't work. <laughs> Did you really? Well, I didn't. I wasn't drunk, but I, yeah, because I, I was trying to figure out what I could drink and go to work. Wow. And I couldn't. I couldn't. So, um, but after work immediately, when I was dancing, mm-hmm. when I was dancing, um, couldn't do drugs at work, after work immediately. There was a time when um, I thought the only way I was going to, at the end, especially at the end of my when I was retiring and at the end, it got worse because the whole thing of you're about to retire. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. This is the only thing who, I know. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I if I'm not the prima If I'm not doing this. Yeah. And I didn't go to college. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm smart. I, I'm, you know, not knowing because mm-hmm. I went to college afterwards. Anyway, that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother we, story. We can, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I was, I was drowning quickly. And um, I've always had this little bit of regret. I was like, gosh, if I hadn't torn up my body with alcohol and drugs, would I have lasted longer? And mm. would I have, would I have been better? And would I, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. No more coulda, woulda, shoulda. Why? Yeah. No, it yeah. made me who I was. And that so was what it. saved you? What kept you from drowning? Uh, um, my son. So after I retired, and one thing I'd been doing while dancing is on, on Mondays, Sundays and Mondays, is guest teaching and speaking and working in schools a little bit. And what I thought I would do, I retired in 06, I was 41. What I thought I would do is guest perform to make money to go into schools to do outreach. So I would be able to fund some of this. Right. Well, no, I was drinking and storing up the money, so that didn't... However, Stanton Welch... Um, made a position for me in education and community engagement because he said, you've got this gift of working with kids. You've been a bridge to the community through your dancing. And, you know, so that was, that was awesome. So I didn't have to depend on my physical mm-hmm. uh, body so much. So it actually got worse. I drank more. The drinking got real bad. So what, what stopped you? Well, what was your, what was your come to Jesus moment? If, if there girl, was the sugar pump fairy went to jail. I got pulled over and um, I'd had warrants out for my arrest because I forgot to pay some ticket and I got picked up, which is the best thing. The worst thing could have ever happened to me, but it was the best thing that could save my life. And then, of course, going to rehab and recovery. and What did you say that. to yourself in that moment? How did I get here? I don't belong here. 
Like what? Mm-hmm. But my ego was out of control. Like, don't you know who I am? I don't belong here. Girl, yes, you do. You're drunk. Yes, you do. You do. So the blessing was the judge said, okay, you're going to do 200 hours community service. You're going to pay a fine of crime stoppers. You're going to go to uh, recovery meetings, 12-step meetings. And at that point, I decided to go to treatment. I needed an intervention. I needed a... And you knew it at that point. Yeah. I knew it before that. I just didn't know how. Just didn't know how. I didn't know how. Yeah. There's always that, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not. Today, I'm not going to. So you're you're sober for nine years. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Let's see. What's the date? I don't (laughs) even know the date. But nine years. I've got nine years. One day at a time. One day at a time. I don't say that on this date I'm going to have 10 years because it's a day I have today. Yeah. And today is awesome because it doesn't get any better than it is right now. And that's your message to people who might oh, be struggling and listening to this right you now. Know, let me tell you. Maybe somebody out there who is in the, the place where you were the day that the Sugar Plum Fury went to jail. Oh, what, man. What do you say to them? That there is so, you are not by yourself. You are not alone. And that's the one thing you think, oh my goodness, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't like me. I don't like me. Um, there's nobody out there to help me. Nobody understands. There's a whole lot of people that know exactly how you feel. Your peeps are out there. I'm one of your peeps. I'm one of those people. You know, it's so interesting. This whole conversation that we're having about... Um, self-esteem and feeling good about yourself. And, um, and when you don't have that, then you project that onto others because it's not all about me. It's not me. It's you. And then to me, that's a, one of the root causes of all this othering that we're seeing in the world today. You know, I, I, I don't like you, but what's really going on is you don't like yourself. Right. And I didn't understand that until I started to love myself. Hmm. Um, I am actually okay. And it's good to just be okay. And that's another thing. I thought everything had to be fantastic. Well, no, it doesn't have to be fantastic. It has to be okay. For real. I have a son that's 15. Um, I got sober when he was six. And he says things like, you know, I'll never forget when he when he was seven and he climbed up me and went, Mommy, you're the best mommy in the world. And by then I had become the best mommy in the world because before that I wasn't. But um, I was the best I could be. And I gave him the best that I had, the little bit that was that there was. But now I can say I am the best mother. I am the best mother. And um, he's got a shot. I mean, he's got a, his father's awesome. Kyle was amazing dad. But he needs us both, and he needs us both healthy. Yeah. So every day, um, I mean, I go to meetings every day that I'm able to. Really? Every day? I was drinking every day. So I can take an hour out of my day to go to a meeting. Oh, absolutely. But I also work with other alcoholics. I, I have sponsees. I have uh, girls, that I, women that I work with. Oh, absolutely. Because that's how this, you can't keep this. You got to give it away. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
when we were talking right before we started the interview and, and I was telling you, I'm going to ask you at some point, you know, what other experiences have you had times when you really felt like um, you didn't belong and um, you were less than you've given us a couple. You said, oh, girl, I got about five. So I'm going to ask you to, to share an, another one that perhaps you haven't shared before that maybe people have not heard. Um, I'm gonna get you. (laughs) I, yeah, I was also in an abusive relationship, a physically abusive relationship. So there's, I've been, I haven't belonged. I didn't really feel like I belonged until, um, I mean, I felt like I belonged when I was really young. I felt like I belonged. There's been a couple of times that I felt like I belonged. High school was hard. High school was really hard. I mean, I had a few really close friends that are still my close friends now. But high school was hard for me because I did not feel like I belonged anywhere. Why? What was, what was, what made you different than your peers? Um, because I either wasn't the popular person or I wasn't the cheerleader. I wasn't. Okay. So I went to Lamar Senior High and we have trees on the front lawn and the groups of people were at these trees. So I was over here at this tree in the 10th and 11th grade. By the 12th grade, I was over here at this tree. Cause I didn't belong in any of these trees. So the, the geeky, weird people were over here. And then over here, I went to the people that were doing all this other stuff that they probably shouldn't have been doing. But that's where I ended up. Mm-hmm. I skipped all this stuff in between. Okay. Cause I didn't belong. I didn't know where I belonged. Yeah. And I didn't belong over there for sure. But that's where I went cause they accepted me just for whatever I was. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I got, um, then I got into the Houston Ballet, and I kind of both felt like I belonged, but not really. And then I had just had my own category. I just made my own category because I was going to do, I was going to be whoever it was that Ben was creating me to be. I was going to be that because that's what I wanted. You? Oh, dance was all I had. It out of all of my life, I've always had dance. Dance has always been there for me. My daddy. <laughs> my mama and dance. Yes. Now it's my dad, my mom, dance and Lawrence, and then there's me. And then, and then, and what's awesome about that is God was there for me the whole time, and I had no idea until I got sober. When people see you today, are they surprised? Do you do you think that when people uh, people who don't really know you, uh, people who might see, um, listen to this podcast or, or watch it. Do you think they'll be surprised at anything that they're hearing? Okay. So I've been here for years, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some people that listen that'll go, mm-hmm. And there's some people that hear something else that'll go, mm-hmm. And there's some people that hear something else. Because somebody somewhere has seen some of that. But not one person has seen it all together. Right. And I will say, um, what's funny is people go, oh, you look good. Like, they're so surprised. <laughs> like, go expect it. Right. Like, you stop dancing and you're all of a sudden just going to let like, it all go to hell, right? <laughs> I know. But I'm like, wait a minute. What, what was I looking like before? But then I look and it was, there was a good um, 15 years where it was scary. I look back at some of those interviews. I'm like, really? Because you weren't healthy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
Oh my goodness. And some of my really close friends, and I didn't lose anybody because I got, I thought if I'm not being whatever it is everybody else wants me to be, that I'm going to lose people. Well, I don't own people. Right. <laughs> they're not right. mine. No, they're not yours, people they're not mine. yours to have, right? And that's, you know, right. but, and it's so not the people, you know, God, God does a sifting job in your life. When you get back and st- I, it's just, so I'm a Christian. Okay. Yes. And, um, <laughs> when, when you trust, God does a sifting job and just weeds out all the stuff that he does. He just does his pruning. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been amazing of who is still in my circle of friends and who, um, is your really- friends always saw you, but you didn't always see you. Right. Is that how it works? Yes. And what is that? What is that? I <laughs> know. That? Yeah. I know. But you see, I think, you know, this is all, it's all connected. It's all connected. And, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, back to this horrific story from today, the, the, the person who did this shooting or, you know, who, the person, persons, whoever they are, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is it within them that is so broken? Mm that they, in order to feel validated and feel like they can be seen right. for who they are, that they have to annihilate break the everybody not, else. Break, break everybody else. Right. So, right. so what, what, where is that, know. where is that, that break coming from? Because we are broken as a human race. We have got to figure out how to love ourselves first, which then allows us to love each other despite our differences. Well, we got to go back. Okay. We Take me back. back. And, and, and I don't have the answer. So don't think that. I, I know. I'm not, I'm not about to go. Oh, <laughs> and the answer's going to come. It's not going to happen. I wish it would. But, but, but I had figured some things out where we have to go back. Because okay. there was a time when this stuff wasn't happening like this. Right. Right. But there was some other stuff that was really janky that was happening. Right. Right. Okay. So back when there was slavery, this wasn't happening. But slavery was happening. Exactly. Back when in the Holocaust, this wasn't happening. But well, actually, yeah, it was because we were in a war. But so that didn't count. But but that's happening. So it's like there's always this huge janky thing happening. And what creates that? I don't know. Why does this happen? I don't know. But it, there's some deficiency somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's something somebody's not getting. Yeah. Or there's a power. Power is like a drug. That power is like a drug. And when you have lack of power, there's fear. Oh. And fear creates chaos and all that. I mean, I'm just saying that when I think I can only, I can only go with what has happened to me. When I do not feel in control, I am afraid. And when you're afraid, it's either I'm not getting something I want, I'm not getting something I think I need, or somebody's going to feel a certain way about me. And so when you have, when that, and then when that fear takes over, you're back to, we're animals. You're, you lash out. You lash out. How are you going to get out of this corner? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think the work that you're doing with the young people in the schools is so phenomenal and so critical because you are showing them through dance, through their art, through movement and 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 expression but they're okay. that they're okay that they are worthy Your feelings just are like they are your feelings are valid you are okay just like nobody can are. do you like you there's only one you there's only one strand of dna that looks like that and that's you and that's it what makes you special 
that mm-hmm. all by I, itself all by itself and Amazing. i wish i could have gotten that sooner but maybe not maybe not well, this is when i'm supposed to have it i love how open you are um in in sharing your struggles and i know that it was a process to get to get to that point it's not where you wake up one day and all of a sudden can no. say you know I'm an alcoholic and, you know, I've, I've yeah. had this struggle and that struggle. Um, but I give you great respect um, and admiration and love for being who you are and for sharing your authentic self with the children, especially, especially, but really with all of us, with all of us. So thank you. Oh, love you to pieces. Love you so much, Lauren. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank, Thank you. you for taking the time to listen and watch, for giving my dear friend here permission to speak and for you having the courage to listen, really listen to what she has to say. I hope you take something away from it that will help you in your life. See you next time. Thanks so much for giving our guest permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.